to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. If you or someone you know is suffering from a tick disorder, a motor neurological tick disorder, then this video is for you, especially if you want to learn how to improve it using natural step strategies. Hi, and welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show. And I'm Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm a uh, medical doctor with a different spin on women's health. And I love to provide you with really actionable strategies that you can start implementing right away to get immediate results in your health. And I am so excited today to have joined me, Dr. Piper Gibson. Hi, Piper. How are you? I'm good, Patricia. How are you? Good. And I would love to properly introduce you to set the context of how what you are about to say is actually extremely important and uh, very scientifically founded because um, what you love to do, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is you love to help scared, frustrated, and overwhelmed parents. And this is a woman's health predominant show. However, this also applies to fathers. Um, and it also, as you said, applies to adults with neurological tick disorders. Um, although a lot of your focus is, you know, really supporting those parents to reduce their child's tick disorder symptoms naturally. And what I love about you so much, but what I really love about it in the context of the show is that you are a doctor of functional medicine, which I'm going to actually want to ask you about that in a second. You're also a doctor of advanced holistic nutrition, a naturopathic doctor, a board certified doctor of natural medicine. And you are so passionate about this that you founded the uh, Tick Disorder Institute of Regenerating Health. And not only that, you recently published a book in November 2022, uh, and I love the title. It's Tick Talk, Common Misconceptions, Real Conversations, and Natural Approaches to Tick Disorders. Oh, yeah. Could you show that again, please? Oh, that's so wonderful. And where can people get that? Is that available on Amazon? Yes, it is available on Amazon. And I will have notes in the, um, I do have notes in the caption for those of you who need the link. And also if you want to find um, Piper, as she likes to be called, um, all of the places where you can go and find her. So Piper, welcome. And thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm excited to be joining you. Me too. All right, let's dive right in. So first of all, I really want to set the context of why did you? Why do you do this? Why do you become? Why did you become passionate about this topic? It's such a like a very specific area. I, I I trained in physical medicine and rehabilitation, and at the time of this recording, I'm just finishing up my functional medicine certification. So, where where did you do your functional medicine? Was it through the Institute for Functional Medicine, or so I did my functional medicine with Rockwell School of Holistic uh, Medicine. Oh, wonderful. Okay. And it's such a great, it's, it's for those of you who don't know functional medicine, it's root cause medicine. It's the science 
of how do we actually um, identify and then uh, hopefully improve, reduce, or eliminate what is actually causing the health concern to show up or worsen. Um, you know, things are genetic, and there certainly is a genetic predisposition with conditions like tick disorders. However, it requires something in the environment to trigger the genes to create the dysfunction. So, you know, that's what I love about the uh, concept of adding on um, strategies that can really get at the root cause of why did the genetics of yourself or your loved ones get um, triggered or activated, like turned on in a way to cause the um, the experience of a tick disorder? Is that, you know, would you agree with that? I do. You know, when you start to look at the research and the studies and the data around tick disorders, they suspect there's a genetic component, but they can't nail it down to one gene. And definitely, as the research continues, we're looking at those environmental impacts. So yes, how are all of those things impacting the way that your genetics and your body is functioning? Yes, exactly. And one way that I personally like to categorize um, what are some root causes, like when you're thinking there's so many things, I like to think of my four pillars, which is um, the stress response, hormone balance, gut health and toxins tolerance. So usually we can, you know, slot the different causes into one or more of these different categories. So I always like to kind of, um, you know, organize things in this way. Um, and for you, so getting back to what we were talking about is why did you become passionate in this particular area? Yeah, so 11 years ago, my son was diagnosed with a transient neurological tick. He woke up one morning, he was jerking his neck, he was blinking his eyes. As parents, we, we were terrified. We were scared. We were like, what is going on? We videotaped it. We took him to the pediatrician. And we, through the process, he got a diagnosis of a transient neurological tick. And we had seen 10 doctors. We had tried eight different prescriptions. And I really just felt in my, in the, my mama's soul that something else was going on. Something. This was his check engine light. He was having these symptoms because something was going on in his body. And he's like, hey, help me here. So I, at that point, decided I was going to go back to school and relearn everything I thought I knew about health and wellness. And because we had tried that conventional approach, I went the holistic approach thinking, hey, maybe there's some solutions here. Um, and so I relearned everything I thought I knew about health and wellness, like you looking at that functional perspective and how, you know, the stress in the environment are impacting our bodies um, is really the focus that I take with all of my clients. Okay, so... By the way, like, um, just curious, fast forward a little bit. How is your son now? Did that improve? Did that resolve? Does he still have any residual concerns? So he will be 18 this year, 17. So we've, you know, have run the gamut. We've been doing this for 11 years and he's tick free. He is driving a car. He's thriving. He just went to the state competition for wrestling. So all of these things that 11 years ago, I never imagined he would be able to do because he could not sit and function in a classroom. Wow. So how did it show up for him? Was it his face, his arms, his legs, or? It was a little bit of everything. I can look back from the day he was born and kind of see symptoms, different things creeping in. Um, it started with eye blinking, then neck jerking, but it he would clear his throat constantly. He would clap his hands. He would jump up and down just he said, I feel like I have to do these movements. Or I'm going to explode. So his was very motor and vocal. And had we, you know, gone for that Tourette's diagnosis, we probably would have been handed one. Um, I just knew that there was something else going on for him. 
And um, what is it that you think in retrospect were his unique contributors and, and many other children will also have similarities, which is why I'm curious. And what did you think were his unique contributors to his condition? Right. So I can look back now for him and see that, you know, he had dairy intolerance from day one. Like I knew I could not consume dairy. He could not tolerate dairy. Um, but that conventional school of thought is, you know, once they're a year old, they, they can really start trying some dairy products. He had constant ear infections. We had ear tubes. He probably did 15 rounds of antibiotics, which I think really did a number on his gut impacting his brain. Um, there's a little bit of genetic component for him as far as being predisposed to aggressive inflammation, looking at his genetic on and off switches. Um, some, some GABA glutamate conversion issues, things like that. But, you know, for him, gluten sensitivity, dairy sensitivity, really removing the diet and then changing his environment was really the most impactful for him. And what about changing his environment specifically worked for you? You know, I got rid of all of the you know, to- possible toxins I could in my home. So we had always heard essential oils, are, they're fabulous. You know, they will help with this, that, and the other thing. I was using essential oils in the home, figuring out that that was a trigger for him. He was so sensitive. So getting rid of the scents, getting rid of the, you know, scented laundry detergent, changing the way that we clean, going from like bleach to vinegar, um, you know, not spraying the pesticides and herbicides in and around our home, I think were some of the biggest changes that we've made, getting rid of all the plastics. You know, it's interesting because you've touched so far on two of those four pillars, the gut health. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned a couple of things that can really impact gut health, which is having a food sensitivity that you're not aware of and you keep eating that offending food. Um, and the second one being um, taking, uh, having uh, things happen to the actual health of your gut, the gut microbiome being one of the integral parts of your gut health, the organisms that the gut microbiome are the organisms that live inside your gut on the lining of your gut and actually help protect your gut lining and the health of that gut lining. And there is a gut to brain connection that's called the gut brain access in research. And the gut is physically connected to the brain and vice versa, and also chemically connected. Obviously, what gets in through the gut lining into our body is going to affect your brain function. And you know, it's so fascinating because um, tick disorders, they and and Tourette's, right? Like the spectrum of having like some mild involuntary muscle movements that can involve the face, the arms, the legs, or the voice, like, like the, you know, the muscles that control your voice and your breathing, right? So that's why I can, and the eye blinking, all of that things that you mentioned, um, they can originate either from the brain telling the muscles to move at the top, you know, like usually the brain, there's usually what's called an inhibition. Usually we're not moving around all over the place all the time because there's mechanisms in place to stop that from happening, to calm the, the you know, that connection down so that when you do move, it's like a voluntary, like I am purposefully moving this limb. I am purposefully doing these actions. I'm purposely choosing to speak now. And when you have problems with the way that the brain and the muscles communicate with each other, right, then you're going to start having these involuntary, like, um, you know, you're not purposefully doing it, muscle movement. And so there's this really fascinating connection between your gut health and your brain health and your brain health and your muscle movements, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's so cool that you you were able to, because, you know, a lot of people would listen to this and say, how on earth? 
what a dairy intolerance or allergy or sensitivity, right? Like consuming dairy products and how would that turn into having a, what people call a neurological or a motor neurological tick disorder, neurological brain all the way through to the muscle connection, the muscle being the motor part. And that's the connection. It's the connection between the gut and the brain and then the brain and the muscles. So that kind of like circle there. So first of all, that's really amazing. And I can, I definitely can see that I've seen food sensitivities and tolerances and allergies play out as neurological conditions in my practice as a specialist in physical medicine rehabilitation. And I think what you mean about the, the genetics is like, you know, some people they'll have a dairy intolerance or sensitivity and they won't actually, you know, they might have a little bit of gut disturbance, but it doesn't bother them. Some people will get a rash in the skin. Some people will get achy joints. Some people get the sinusitis. Some people get the ear infection. And then, you know, other people like your son will develop this um, tick disorder. And the degree of which you're affected, that can be determined by the genetics, right? But the trigger is the same. It's uh, intolerance to something that you're eating and you, and you don't realize it and you keep eating that thing. Right. I mean, and that's absolutely the case. And for me, I would say gut health plays just a much bigger role than neurological health. So, you know, that conventional thought is ticks are neurological. And I say they're not purely neurological. They're not stemming from what's happening in the brain. It's usually what's happening in the gut. And I have tons of kiddos and, you know, adults that I'm working with that have candida overgrowth or um, you know, parasites, things like that, that are in the gut that really need to be brought under control to improve all of those things in conjunction with foods and, and the stuff that they're eating. But it really is that holistic whole body approach. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's the, you know, the gut microbiome health and the gut microbiome can be overwhelmed by things like candida, which is supposed to be in the gut, but not overgrowing and taking over, right? Parasites, some parasites are actually healthy and protect people from neurological conditions, but the wrong kind of parasite hanging out with the wrong gut microbiome could, you know, end up in that gut health being negatively affected, which will then affect the brain. So while the brain is involved in the process, it is not the original, it's not where the problem originates. The problem originates in places like the gut, the gut impacts the brain and the muscle, and so you have this downstream effect. But if you're, as you say, if you're just focusing on the brain and you're not, that's not the root cause, right? It's not like you, you know, you suffered an injury to the brain or a trauma in the brain, or there's an infection in the brain. The brain is hanging out and it's being influenced by the gut and what the gut is letting into the body directly influenced through the vagus nerve. That's the umbilical cord between the brain and the gut. Right. Right. And then that chemistry where whatever the gut lets in and doesn't let in affects how the brain functions. So that's the root cause. You know, medicine is uh, really looking, OK, where did the problem actually start? And, um, you know, probably for quite a few people who have tick disorders, I suspect that if they were to do some research on this and if they examine the gut microbiome and the health of the gut lining and how your digestive system is working or not working, you would see that there's this very strong link. And basically every single study I've ever seen on a neurological condition where they actually did look at the gut microbiome, they have found that the gut microbiome is not healthy. Now, was it the gut microbiome that problem that caused the neurological problem? That is harder at this point in time, we can't say. But what we can say is that 
they happen hand in hand. And it looks like the research where they go to fix the gut microbiome helps the neurological condition, right? So while we're still not yet understanding, is it the chicken or the egg, you can still work on the health of the gut, knowing that it will help improve, right? And whether or not it completely reverses the condition, that is somewhere where we're not there yet. But what we can say is it reduces the symptoms of the problem, right? And in the case of your son, I mean, it's really amazing that it sounds like he's had um, like a cure or a reversal, right? In medicine, they don't like to use the word cure. They like to use the word reversal. Um, And you mentioned the toxins tolerance bit, right? Like, again, some people can tolerate a lot of toxins in their body. They can smell the essential oils. They can smell the volatile organic compounds or VOCs in, in the fumes of these cleaning products that we are using it, you know, throughout our homes. Some people have no issues with that all the way through to people who can't literally can't enter a, a home that has those compounds in there. It's so, um, it really irritates them. It gives them headaches. They have um, smell sensitivities, right? They're the people who are in the, working in the offices and they can't sit beside someone who's wearing a perfume it just like gets, it triggers headaches in them, that kind of thing. So again, there's this massive spectrum of how we um, interact with the toxins that we're adding into our environment. And some people like yourselves um, have to actually reduce those toxins. And other people like myself, I don't have that problem, but I choose to reduce the toxins in my home because I just don't want to add to any work that my body has to do to deal with those toxins and then and it hopefully reduces the chances of myself and my family and my loved ones running into problems like these neurological conditions or tick disorders or motor tick disorders you know in the future is that is that sound about right yeah absolutely you know there was a great study that came out last year about tick disorders ticks and Tourette's with the comorbidities and one of the things that it really talked about was the immune system imbalance, that they're now finding out that tick disorders are really related more to an immune system imbalance. And so for me, the way I look at it and explain it to the parents I'm working with is, you know, your kids are very sensitive. They're in a state of fight or flight. And so when that immune system is imbalanced and there's any kind of change in the environment, their body is like, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's going on? It's very much on high alert. And so for me, that environmental contributor is a one of the big factors because you have all these compound factors impacting the gut, impacting the immune system, really having these kids be on high alert all the time. Okay, so I'm going to um, um, take what you said and try to explain it in a way that people who don't understand like the connection between the immune system and our stress response and our gut, because there is a connection. Sometimes it can be overwhelming for parents to like listen to this and say, I don't quite understand where this is going. So correct me if I've got this explanation right, Piper. Part of what happens like as a response to our environment is we become stressed out, right? Like there are things happening in our lives. Um, you know, when people went through COVID, that was a big one. But even daily things like going to school, having expectations, having homework, having um, bullies in our, you know, in the child's environment, um, having um, difficult interactions with between family members all the way through to like, you know, lots of um, over programming of kids, you know, in terms of doing their um, 
extracurricular activities. This is for children. Obviously, for adults, there's stress with work and expectations and relationships. So if we just take all of that, that's emotional, mental stress. There's also physical stress like concussions in sports, um, trauma, physical trauma, those kinds of things. They all um, trigger in our body a stress response. We are responding to that stress. That response is dealt with by various parts of our body. It's dealt with by our brain and our nervous system. And that's what you meant by the fight or flight response, where it activates the part of our body that is responsible for being on the lookout, being aware and careful and vigilant because, you know, you're stressed out. In the old days, it's that part of the nervous system that dealt with running away from a tiger. Like, you know, you're in the jungle, you come across the tiger, you have to activate, you have to fight, either fight the tiger or you flee the tiger, right? Or another, um, you know, um, warring tribal member of another tribe, for example, that's the system. And we haven't actually changed over the centuries. We still use the same system and it activates this fight or flight response. And what's really interesting is that that stress response, which can get activated, is meant to be activated very infrequently. But in today's society, it's being activated like day in, day out, through the day, from the moment that our alarm like jangles us out of sleep, all the way through to going to bed. And maybe we're listening to the news, breaking news before we go to bed, right? So and everything in between. So the really interesting thing is that what we've discovered is that the stress response and all of those mechanisms in our body interact with and activate our immune system and our immune system people are more familiar with that now after covid but it's basically the part of the body that's put on alert to um, attack in foreign invaders like infections right and it's also really it also helps the body with the stress response it interacts with that nervous system so to like pump out more um you know inflammation to deal with like um, let's say when we're running away from the tiger, if the tiger, you know, swats out and like cuts us, we need to be able to heal quickly. So it, the immune system is on alert whenever you're stressed out. And that immune system and stress response um, also interact with our gut because 70% of our immune system hangs out in our gut. So when you have an overactive immune system, an overactive stress response, that impacts the functioning of your gut. And then it comes back again to what we talked about with the gut health. So you have this like, you know, if, you're, if your child or yourself or your loved one is having problems with, um, you know, the gut health, either through the foods that they're eating, through the toxins that we're breathing in or putting into our bodies, through the stress response that we're being exposed to day in and day out from um, a stressful modern lifestyle, all of those things, it could be one of those things or it could be all of those things for everybody. It's a different combination that can all add up to creating a chemistry or a neurology like the systems being primed to develop a problem like a tick disorder. Right. And for some people, it ends up being um, autism. For some people, it can be ADHD behaviors. For other people, adults can be multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. ALS, for some people it's osteoporosis, for other people it's diabetes, cancer, all of those things can, you know, can touch upon and can trigger the expression of lack of health in your body, really, right? Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really think that's a good explanation. And I talked to so many parents about exactly that. You know, we used to run from a tiger. We're not doing that anymore, but we have so much of the stimulus in our environment that can really impact us. Yeah. And stress itself isn't bad. 
It's when you don't have the um, coping mechanisms, and especially children, right? Children are not taught how to cope with stress because us parents were not really taught how to cope with stress. So, you know, I find that our generation is the generation that is like catching up to like, okay, you know what, these modern, this modern stress is really destroying our health. And, you know, it's a different kind of stress than our, than our parents, right? Who are the grandparents of our children. Like they didn't, they started to experience this, but it wasn't the reality of a big portion of their lives. They had different stressors in their generation. We have social media stress and technology stress and an increasing burden of environmental toxins like the cleaning products you mentioned, right? Everything is mounting up. So as parents, it becomes our job really, which is really tough because we already have usually a full-time job or we're a stay-at-home mom with children, which is a full-time job and more. And to, to be told like, okay, now you've got to also learn these tools and skills of like how to manage stress, how to help your child identify food sensitivities, how to, um, you know, eliminate toxins in your environment. And I guess what we're here to say is you should not do this alone, right? At the very least, you should buy Piper's book and read it to gain a foundational understanding. And then once you have that so that you are an informed decision maker and you're coming at the situation with this higher level of awareness. And what we do know is that stress goes down with information and power, like knowledge is power and you feel more empowered, right? You automatically feel less overwhelmed when you have this higher level of awareness. And then you reach out to Piper or someone like Piper and you get her help because it is, this is not something that you navigate on your own. And it doesn't mean that you abandon the rest of your healthcare team. It means you add on, you add people to your healthcare team. Would you agree with that, Piper? I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, I feel like from the the parent perspective that so many of us want help and answers when our kid is diagnosed with something. So there's this really great graduate study about parents whose children are diagnosed with chronic illness. And what they found is that 50% of parents in this study experienced a sense of grief and loss. And when we think about grief and loss, we think of that around, you know, somebody in our family dying or, you know, someone close to us. And we have time to process that. But when we have grief and loss around our child getting a diagnosis, they are living in our house. We're still going to soccer practice and cooking dinner. And we as parents, as adults, don't have time to process that. And, you know, I really feel that that is, you know, mom is really only as happy as her sickest child. If you have a kid with a chronic illness, that stress is definitely going to impact you as as a parent. And so, you know, I feel like so many of the parents I talk to, we talk about, I didn't learn how to manage my stress. You didn't learn how to manage your stress. These are things that we need to, one, teach ourselves so that we can, two, turn around and teach our kids. And so for me, I have a lot of parents who we're going to call it gun shy. They're a little bit gun shy of going to the doctor because they feel like they've been to this doctor, that doctor, they've tried it all. And I really encourage them that, you know, I'm like, I'm here to kind of bridge the gap between you and your MD. And you're going to have me as part of your plan. But it is not, this is not an excuse for you to completely abandon conventional medicine at all. It's just you need a little bit of extra handholding in some of these other departments. And it's okay to have a bigger care team. 
Okay, that is, I 100% agree with it. When you're, for example, when you're running a business, you can't just have one person as part of your team. You need to have someone in finances and accounting and marketing and, you know, sales. And it's the same thing with your healthcare team. You need to have a full bodied healthcare team. So, Piper, um, let's walk through this. So, someone presents to your, to you, right? They have a child with a tick disorder. We don't need to get into the details, but generally speaking, let's like demystify the process. So what is a typical process? Like what steps do you, do people and people expect to take with you towards the road of reducing their um, child's symptoms naturally? Yeah. So I actually have a three-step proprietary process that I've created over the years. And it really starts with something that I call comprehensive neuroimmune analysis. And that's really looking at data. So we do a lot of lab testing. We're going to look at a lot of data and we're going to gather this information. This is what's going on inside your your body. Then we're going to use the foundational connection method. We're going to look at health history. We're going to look at any maybe birth trauma. We're going to look at this entire timeline of health history for you or for your child, whoever we're looking at. And then we're going to connect those dots between that data and that health history. We're going to connect the dots. And then we use something I call the um, restorative rescue strategy. We're going to put a plan into action. We're going to say, okay, here's the data. Here's the connection. What steps do we need to take to get you from here to here? And really just giving parents those short-term and long-term goals to really help them be successful. Because for some parents, for some children, it is going to be some lifelong changes, things that are really going to benefit them throughout their life. And once they can listen to their bodies, you have a whole new outlook. Amazing. I love it. And um, for those of you who um, are working with people like Piper and you're also curious, like, how do I um, identify food sensitivities? I have some videos in the Elimination Diet playlist on my YouTube channel, which helps um, just to set the foundation of like, you know, what are, how do you do one? What are some common um, you know, misconceptions? Um, so that's just an added value as well. Um, and Piper, what are some common misconceptions with um, tick disorders and how they're managed? Yeah, you know, one of the the most common misconceptions about tick disorders is that we are going to go to our neurologist and get a prescription and it's going to make the symptoms go away. And I think this is one of the most heartbreaking things for parents because there's, again, I love studies. I love the data. But when we look at what Cincinnati Children's Hospital says, they will say medications prescribed for ticks, one, do not cure ticks. But two, when you start to dig into it, really explains that. It rarely, medications rarely reduce symptoms more than 50%. So as parents, we go to the doctor and we're like, we just desperately, you know, want to help our child. And then it's not working and we're frustrated. But we're not looking at the piece that's like, hey, this isn't going to cure your ticks. This isn't going to reduce them a whole ton, but it may help, you know, reduce the symptoms a little bit. And that's really, I think, one of the biggest misconceptions I see with parents is that they are just under this impression that there's some kind of pill, potion, magic bean that is going to really help with their child's symptoms. And for me, I'm like, no, it is really a holistic approach and making all of these changes. Yes, I 100% agree. I mean, um, medications, you can, you, you know, you can classify them as band-aids and bridges. Right. So a band-aid is like, it really helps um, the person like, feel better kind of stops the bleeding but the cut is not healing because you haven't addressed the root cause so there's still this like injury happening again the medications are targeted towards the brain and the muscle 
communication, but they're not dealing with those root causes, the gut health, the toxin tolerance, the stress response, and the hormone balance, right, which is also tied to all those things. So for some people, it's like you need that medication so that your child as your or yourself, because this also applies to adults, right? So you want to engage in society, you don't want to completely check out and leave school or not be doing the sports or engaging in recreational and relationships. So you use those medications and you and you you with your doctor to see is this one that works? Does it reduce it enough? If not, let's try another one. Let's watch out for side effects. Let's work together. And as you're doing that, you're working on the root cause solutions so that over time, it opens up the possibility of either getting off of those medications because you no longer need them, or at the very least, reducing the dose so that you're not, you know, you're on the minimal necessary dose, which also decreases any risk of side effects or long-term harms from these medications. So it's a really... Um, and that's why the medication can be called the bridge because it's that, that you know, temporary thing that you need to get to where you want to go. But once you're over the bridge, you may not need it anymore. You can kind of leave it behind, right? So um, I agree 100%. It's oftentimes a very holistic approach. And you are going to have um, parents and people who, ha- who experience tick themselves, tick disorders themselves or any condition where they're like, no, you know what? I'm quite happy with the medication solution. And other people who are like, well, I don't want medications at all. Like I'm very not into medications. I just want the natural approach. There is no right or wrong, folks. What I do think is appropriate is that you're aware of everything that's available to you. So now you're making an informed decision because wouldn't it be so sad if you if you're like someone who is actually not into medications, but you're not aware of these natural strategies, or you're someone who loves the natural strategies but has been afraid of medications and suffering as a result of not benefiting from what might be a good, great short-term solution to help you get through a really tough time, right? So, thank you. I think that's a really, really good point to bring up in terms of a common misconception. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It really is. It absolutely is. And, you know, I do. I have a lot of clients that come to me. They're, they're taking the medications that, you know, they're helping somewhat or, you know, they're just looking for some more natural solutions. And over time, you know, they work with their primary care to, provider to come off of those medications if they wish. My whole thing is, you know, to families, adults, parents, whoever I'm working with is just let's have that education piece. Let's share that information so that you understand, like, both sides of the spectrum. Yes, I so agree with that. And um, before, I think this is a great way to um, um, start ending the conversation a little bit is to say, if, there, if there's one thing or a couple of things that people could start doing now, right away, they could start implementing into their lives or that of their children, what would that be? My number one, number one advice for parents, for people that struggle with neurological issues, really in general, is get rid of sugar. We don't need the processed packaged sugar. We just consume an overabundance as society of sugar. And it is so inflammatory. It can really lower your immune system function. And so for me, when I'm talking to parents, I'm like, one of the best things you can do is or reduce the sugar, get rid of the sugar. Let's find some substitutions. Let's find some replacements. But I really find that starting to make those smaller changes sugar, maybe gluten, dairy, whatever it is down the line. But sugar for me is really one of those main things that I'm like, just get rid of it. It's not. I could not agree with you more. In fact, I'm going through that with my son right now, my oldest son, because 
when he when he was born, I I was still not as aware, right? And um, also he was raised because I couldn't make breast milk very easily. I had him on baby formula, and there's so much sugar in those baby formulas, the ones that you can typically buy off the shelf. Um, with my second child, I was prepared, and I was you know I had different alternatives. I was buying um a powdered uh, milk formula from Germany that is like low, you know, that HIPP, I think yeah. it's called the HIP. Um, but, you know, I didn't know that with my first son. So he developed um, like a massive sweet tooth. Um, I'm, he had, I'm, he had uh, thrush, he had all, every sign of candida overgrowth. And finally, he's, you know, seven years old now. And we're, we're finally like dealing with it because I noticed it popping up and very, he's more, more apt to get a cold than, than his younger brother mm-hmm. who doesn't have that sweet tooth. And um, anyways, many different things. So we're going through the sugar thing. And it's like, you know, some simple steps for that, that I've been implementing is like, no fruit juice, fruit juice, even with no added sugars, it's got a lot of natural sugars without the protection of fiber that you find in the whole fruit. So what I had to do is I couldn't just like remove him from it, I had to water it down. So very sneaky mama move, but I started putting water and now it's like to the point where it was so slow, he didn't really notice it. So, and I told him like, we are transitioning away from um, juice, but I didn't tell him I was watering it down. So now it's like, you know, it's lost a little bit of the appeal for him. So when we are going to cut it out completely, except for birthday parties, um, you know, so that was number one step. And then the other place where I see a lot of parents is the breakfast cereals and the bread, right? So we cut out, like, first of all, I've never really had it, but we really paid attention. No granola bars, no breakfast cereals, all of those healthy things for kids are just full of sugar. And we are buying now like fresh sourdough bread, which has low, naturally has low sugars because Mm -hmm. of the fermentation process. And that's what we have for breakfast is a nice toast with like a nut butter or olive oil, avocado, uh, maybe an egg, you know, so when you start the breakfast off right, and you get those snacks right, I find that that's like a really great step towards, um, you know, getting that low sugar, because I 100% agree, sugar, it interferes with your stress response, because it stresses the body out, it actually causes, as you say, a stress response through the immune system, it, it interferes with your hormone balance, because it, it causes your sugar hormone to spike, right, the insulin goes up, all the other hormones get imbalanced, it interferes with your gut health, because it feeds the candida in your gut microbiome, which throws everything else of gut health off, and it is actually a toxin, it's a direct poison to your immune system, which is why people who eat sugar, as you say, get sick more often. It poisons our cells. It poisons the lining of our blood vessels. So it is a real um, problem in our society and the issues that it's hiding out in a lot of foods that we have been told are healthy and they are not. And I'm not, a con- it's not a conspiracy theorist that we've been told. They simply did not know this at the time, Right. So it's just something that a a path that we have gone down, that's been the wrong path. And as society, we have to reverse back out of that and and get back on the path, as you say, of whole foods, whole fruits, naturally fermented sourdough breads, you know, all of those kind of ancient eating practices that, um, you know, a lot of those things we have to get back to. So I, I could not agree with you more. And that's a really great low hanging fruit in the sense that it's something that you can do on your own, if you want to, as a parent, right? While you are reading Piper's book, finding out more about these natural strategies and reaching out to people like Piper to, um, 
you know, really power up your healthcare team. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I tell parents all the time that probably fruit juice is one of the number one questions I get. And I say, you are not going to sit down at the table and eat six oranges. So if you have a cup of orange juice, it's essentially six oranges, but without the fiber, it's really going to impact that hormone, that, that insulin response. So, you know, I really feel like as a society, we are just overboard on the sugar. Yeah. And people are like, well, it's the only way my, my kid gets fluids into their body. I'm like, oh, did you know that research shows that fruit juice dehydrates the body? So it's actually dehydrating you. So it's not even good for hydration. And in um, traditional like ancient medicine, so Ayurveda, for example, the only time that fruit juice was used to be a health supporting practice was that when that fruit, so, so let's say, let's give an example, Concord grapes, right? They're a kind of grape that come up once a year for like one to two weeks. It's a specific time. And if during that time you take that grape and you press it fresh and it has not been pasteurized, so it has the raw enzymes and the raw nutrients in there that are still, you know, fresh and available to the body and you drink that fruit, that can be very, um, it provides detoxification for the body. It kind of, it's a little bit cleansing. And then that fruit is gone. It's seasonal. It's no longer available and you don't have it for the rest of the year, right? So there is a role for a little bit of freshly squeezed seasonal juice at the time of year in which it's available in your local right. neighborhood, in your no local country, right? Otherwise, you start getting into that zone, right, of it being unhealthy. So nothing is good or bad. It's the spectrum. And, you know, you want to stick to the healthy spectrum of fruit juice. But we're all in modern society in the completely, like, overused, overavailable, unaware use of things like fruit juices and the granola bars and all those sorts of things. I mean, those are the sneaky ones. The obvious ones are lollipops. I mean, when I go um, to pick up my kids at school, I see those kids like just sucking on lollipops everywhere. And I'm I'm a bit perplexed as to how why that's popping up right now. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. So there's the obvious ones, right? Clearly. But it's these hidden ones, the fruit juices, the breakfast cereals, the granola bars. I think those are the ones that as parents, um, we need to get rid of the obvious ones and work on the hidden ones because that is a real issue. And it's showing up in our the cavities that our kids are having, right? Um, anyways, a whole thing, a for topic for another day. And I'm so grateful that you brought that up because I can't agree with you more. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So Piper, where can people find you? Yeah, I am on Instagram and Facebook. It's just Regenerating Health. My website is www.regenerating.health. I have a Natural Approaches Facebook group you can join. And you can also grab the book off of Amazon. It's called TikTok. Common Misconceptions, Real Conversations, and Natural Approaches to Tick Disorders. Amazing. I love it. Thank you so much. I'm sure we just you know, got the tip of the iceberg with this conversation and your book is like, you know, the depth of it. So I encourage you to buy that book and read it and educate yourself, empower yourself. If you've enjoyed this talk, please share, save and subscribe. Thank you, Piper, for coming. And everybody, thank you for attending this. And I look forward to seeing you at the next episode of the Wild Wisdom Show. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening, day or night, depending on when you catch this.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. 